Uh, it's good to be back up here. I've got three weeks worth of sitting, um, so you guys are in for a doozy today. Uh, but it, honestly, it's great to be able to sit uh, and to be a part of the church and receive, not from other men coming in from outside the church uh, to speak, although we don't have anything against that, but to, to, to receive from uh, men of our own church that God is working in and raising up to lead. So um, that was awesome. Um, the other thing I want to I point out real quick here before we dive into um, uh, the message this morning is, you guys know that we have the prayer board in the back. Uh, we have the prayer cards up there. Uh, if you want prayer, fill it out and post it up there where the other ones are at. But the other thing that we're asking people to do, we learned this actually when we were up in Modesto, uh, is if you have a request up there um, and God has answered that prayer, we're asking that you would just write real big over the whole card, Answered. So that as people go back there and see it, we can celebrate with you um, that God has answered that prayer. And then the other thing that we're asking is if you um, are praying for those people up there, if you would just put your initials along the bottom of that card so that if that person goes back up there to look at it, they'll see that there are people who are reading this uh, and they're praying for them and taking it seriously. So it's, it's just something that we're wanting to do as a church uh, to be... Um, uh, more uh, dependent on prayer, right? More serious about prayer um, and believing that God answers uh, uh, the, 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 the cries of his people. Um, he is a good father who, who answers his, his people. So, um, so if you guys could remember to do that. In fact, if you, if you look back there now on all those ones, every time the leaders gather, we, we, we pull those down, take them in, and we pray over them. So you'll see initials on them already that people have been praying for your prayer requests. Um, but our hope is also that, that it would be the whole church that would go back there and see a name and a need um, and remember that throughout the week and initial that they've been praying for that. So, um, so don't forget about that. Prayer, uh, prayer is, is, is vital. So uh, we're going to wrap up our, our five-week series this morning uh, entitled, This is Our City. Today's message is entitled, Pursuing Our City, as we wrap it up. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at, of course... The Great Commission, one of my favorite passages to preach, uh, which is Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Um, and so if you remember five weeks ago, or if you weren't here, um, we started this series by going actually to the Old Testament. And let me remind you of our text. It was Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7 that said, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your Welfare, and we we open up this sit, this series really um, by presenting a challenge to us as a church, uh, and that that challenge uh, some people will find very difficult, and that is to love our city. It is very easy and very quick for us to find things to uh, complain about, or 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 reasons to say, well, here's why I hate it here, or here's why I don't love it. But God has in His sovereignty and in His fatherly care for each one of us, divinely placed us in Bakersfield, California. And so in that alone, regardless of what the city has to offer, trusting that God is ruling and reigning over everything, and that for a reason He has placed each of us here, is enough for us to love our city. And the reality is that sometimes we expect... uh, um, Christian outcomes, if you will, or Christian characters, characteristics from non-Christians. And so sometimes we look to our city, who, who is not, it's not a godly city. It's not 
ran by godly people. But we expect them to act in a godly manner, and that's just our complete disillusionment for us to expect that. And so it's even more the reason why we should love our city and seek the welfare of our city as God commanded the Israelites. And, and, and remember, when Jeremiah wrote that, when God spoke to Jeremiah commanding the Israelites to seek the welfare of the city, they were in captivity. They were in bondage. And God doesn't pull any punches. He said, hey, I sent you there. I'm the one who sent you into captivity. So seek the welfare of the city. And so I want to challenge us. I want us to remember that challenge. And I hope uh, we accepted that challenge to, act, to love our city. And when we talk to people about where we're from or when people talk about Bakersfield, that when they, when they begin to complain about it, that we would counter it with something positive. And that we would take the charge to love our city serious. And then the last uh, three weeks, uh, a representative or somebody from each one of the missional communities got up and, and they shared. And, and I apologize if I, didn't, if I didn't present that right to you guys because somebody made the comment like they felt like it was just a commercial for the missional communities. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what it was supposed to be. So I'm glad that, that it felt that way. I'm just sorry that you weren't expecting it to feel that way. Um, but each one of the missional communities shared uh, God's heart toward their target group, why God cares for the orphans, why God cares for the homeless, why God cares for the sick. They shared why it is or how it is that God's heart for that, that group of people is what motivates them as God's people to pursue those people, right? Because it's really easy to stand up here and tell you to love our city or to tell you to love the sick or love the orphans and just, just tell you to go do it. Right, this is usually what we tell our kids to do. Clean your room just because I said. And our first inclination is to rebel against that. And so we know that the only way that we will be faithful to loving our city and serving it well is if it's based in God's heart for those people and God's heart for us because it is God's love alone that motivates us into good works. Because we can do good works for the wrong reasons and we gain nothing. We don't want to miss Christ. And then lastly, each missional community shared how the specific steps, like their strategic plan for this year of of how they are going to love and serve that group and build meaningful relationships with that group so that the people in those areas know that they exist. They are there to care for them, to help them, to love them, and to point them to Christ. So that was the last three weeks. And this morning, uh, as we do every year, we're going to recommission our missional communities. And so before we do that at the end, we're going to do that at the end right before the benediction. I want to walk through Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 with us. Um, and so let's, let's read that here, and then I'll pray, and then we'll go through that together. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. God, I pray that you would, um, this morning, just encourage our hearts, God. Encourage our hearts, God, with, with, with what you have done for us, God, and, and how that is, is so intimately connected, God, to who you are. 
But you don't move and you don't act, God, outside of your holy and perfect being. Refresh us, God. Just as the land is refreshed by the rain, I pray this morning that our hearts and our minds and our souls and even our physical bodies would be refreshed by your word. We pray for fruit. I pray, God, that you would help us to see the areas where we are selfish or comfortable or prideful or lustful or where we gossip too much, God. That we would repent, that we would believe, and that we would walk in ways that are according to your goodness. Help me, God, this morning as I'm a little out of, of, um, uh, out of practice here, God, to, to make a good use of the time I have. Pray this in your son's great name. Amen. Amen. Tim Keller wrote this. He said that ministry to the poor is a crucial sign that we believe the gospel. Ministry to the poor is a crucial sign that we believe the gospel. And there isn't a single one of our groups that that we could say is outside of the poor. Right? And the reality is, is if we really saw things uh, through a biblical worldview, then we would understand that even the richest person in, er, on earth is very, very poor because they're spiritually bankrupt. Right? And, and, and it is a sad truth. I was reminded of this this week. I think it's Greg Laurie that says that, um, that this is today on earth. Think about what you're going through right now. The trials, the tribulations, the struggles. If you are not in Christ... This is the best that you will ever have it. However, the good news is that if you are in Christ, this is the worst that you will ever have it. And so our ministry to the poor, our ministry to those who um, are less fortunate than us, is a crucial sign that we believe the gospel. And let us not miss. It's easy for us to miss. You know, we were, I don't remember who I was having this conversation with this week, but all we want is a to-do list. You tell me what to do, and I will do my best to do it so that I can get whatever benefit it will produce, right? And I think, I would, let me back that up. Theologians, Christians, pastors agree that the reason that there isn't just a to-do checklist in Scripture of how to be a Christian, check this box, check that box, is because to do that, there is no dependence on God whatsoever needed. There, 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 you don't have to place any value whatsoever on who God is and what He has done for you in order to check boxes. But to believe, you have to take value that you used to attribute to something that was not God And you have to begin to attribute it. That's what believing is, is you believe that that value is attributed to God. You believe that God is deserving of that worth, that he really is worthy. So our rallying cry, listen, our rallying cry as a church, as a believer, um, as Christians, is not mission. It's not mission. And if you've heard that from us, we, we confess that as being wrong and we repent. But our rallying cry is the gospel. Think about what Tim Keller said. He said that our ministry to the poor is a crucial sign that we believe the gospel. Not that we believe they need it. Not that we believe we're supposed to do it. 
but that we believe that God Almighty, no beginning, no end, God eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, humbled himself, took on human flesh, became a baby. He lived a perfectly sinless life, always obeying his parents, always loving his brothers and sisters, always loving the neighborhood brats, always listening to his boss. Jesus had a job. He had to do what his boss said, okay? Always. And he did that. And then he died. Then he rose again. And one day he'll return. That is our God. And that is our cry. And we believe that somebody who believes that the only response, the only proper response to somebody who believes Jesus and the goodness of Jesus, what he has done, who believes the gospel, is to live according to what Jesus says, which is mission. It's what our text covers this morning. But what I want us to understand before we get into the text this morning is that love is an act, not an idea. Love is an act, not an idea, and not an emotion. We would be lost today with no hope if love was an idea. And God, just in his mind, stayed outside of our realm and said, I sure love them. We would be lost and hopeless today if love was simply an emotion. Because Jesus would have thought, this is a great idea. And then he would have pooped his first diaper. (laughs) I'm the king of kings. (laughs) I got to learn to talk, learn to walk, learn to potty train. I got to do what human, fleshly people tell me to do. If that's not bad enough, he was horribly tortured and beaten and stricken. If love was an emotion, then Jesus would have checked out a long time ago. But he didn't. Because love was an act. And we see that act displayed most clearly, most beautifully, most profoundly through Jesus Christ. So as we take time this morning to commission our our missional community so that they will uh, lovingly pursue our city... I want us to understand, and what I want us to grasp is that we are called to love our city, and that means taking action. We're called to love our city. God instructed it, Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. So that means that we're to take action. What our missional communities presented to us the last few weeks, they weren't ideas, they weren't emotions, but it's a plan for action. And they were plans for action based on the fact that we believe that God Almighty came to save undeserving sinners. The reason that I want to take so much time this morning and and reinforce that in our hearts and minds is because of this. Listen to me. When we leave this morning, we're going to forget all of this like we always do. And we're going to be on mission together. We're going to be having family dinners. And we're going to complain about how, you know, they say they're going to be there and they're never there. We're going to complain about how stinky they are. We're going to complain about how hard it is. And in those moments, those of us that are hearing the complaints, our our response should be not to agree, 
but to point back to Christ. To remind our hearts of why we do this. To remind our hearts and our minds of what has been done for us. And that's where Jesus starts here. So what I want to do is through this text, I want to give you four truths that we must remember from this text. As we, as we pursue our city this year, and by God's grace, we will see fruit from our work, right? Like, do you know that that should be a prayer of yours, that, God, that God's grace to us would be fruit from our work? Because God's grace to us could be, and yes, I say it's God, God's grace to us could be that we don't see fruit. That would still be God's goodness to us. The Old Testament prophet uh, Jeremiah never saw people repent from any of his messages. Never saw people repent. Did you guys know that? The book starts with this grand scene of God saying he's looking across the earth. Who will, who will I send? Who, 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 will, who will go? And so often we hear that and we're like, yes, that's me. God, send me, right? And so that's Jeremiah's like, God, send me. I'll go. And he says, okay, Jeremiah. Jeremiah's work was constantly that of being rejected, of not being listened to. No repentance to God's word. And that's what he signed up for. So I'm not going to lie to us and tell us that if we do this right, that we're just going to, you know, see amazing fruit. I don't know. That's, that's up to God's sovereignty. But what I do know is that's not for us to determine. Our, our job is to be faithful to what God has given us. And that is to love God and love others as ourselves. So the four things that we need to remember that this text tells us in order to be effective this year is, number one, that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. We are doing this because Jesus is the king. Not because we're hoping that by us being on team Jesus that he will win the battle. We're doing this because Jesus is king. Verse 18 says, from Matthew 28 here, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He is the king. God saw fit to to, uh, relinquish or, or, or to give or to invest all authority on heaven and earth to Jesus. He is the king. And what is hard for us sometimes is, see, theologically speaking, um, when we talk about Jesus and, and, and his kingdom, right, sometimes it's, it's hard for us to think about, okay, Jesus' kingdom, it, it's, if you don't stop to really study it, it can be a, a confusing topic. But what we believe about Jesus' kingdom is, it's, if to term it easily, it's called already, not yet. When Jesus came in, in flesh, he inaugurated his kingdom, it began. Jesus talked about his kingdom a lot. But Jesus has not yet consummated his kingdom. That will happen when he returns. So right now he is ruling and reigning from the right hand of the Father. But there is a day where he will come back and he will consummate his kingdom and he will rule and reign here physically on earth. Our eyes will see clearly, perfectly, purely who he is. Our hearts will rejoice because of what he has done 
in a way that our hearts have never rejoiced before. But Jesus is king. And what I want to remind us, this is what we have to remember. Do you know what your king is doing right now? What is your king's posture right now? He is seated. Okay? Jesus is seated. Mark 16, 19. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen. Jesus is not pacing across the floor of heaven, hoping that things turn out right. Jesus is not worried and anxious about the outcome. Jesus isn't up there saying, oh my goodness, if, if Rich and that group at Crosspoint doesn't get it right, we're doomed. He's not. He's not. He is seated comfortably, securely, not wavering on the work that he has done to accomplish the forgiveness of men. Jesus is king. If we remember this, it will take out all of our worry, all of our anxiety, all of our frustration about not seeing things happen that we want to see happen. It takes away the pressure of having to do everything right so that people will be saved. You see, Jesus reconciling Bakersfield to himself is not dependent upon us being faithful disciple-making disciples. Do you know that? Let me just relieve you of that as we head out into our city this year. God will accomplish his purpose. God's word, he promises that his word will accomplish what it has been sent out to accomplish That doesn't negate us from participating in it, but it relieves us of the pressure of perfection and making sure that we do everything right every time. It relieves me from putting pressure on you of thinking as we're in a missional community and if you would only have shown up to serve, then that person might have been saved. Right? It relieves you guys from thinking if you would only preach better and shorter then more people would come because Jesus is king and he is seated confidently and comfortably on the throne. The second thing that we need to remember, that was the good news. Here's the bad news. Following in John's footsteps from Friday night. Some will doubt. Some will doubt. Some people will doubt. Verse 17 of our text And when they saw him, who? The eleven disciples, as it tells us in verse 16. And when the eleven disciples saw him, who? They saw Jesus. They worshipped him. But some doubted. Think about this for a second. It tells us clearly that these are the eleven disciples here that doubt. There's some of the eleven that doubt. This isn't the masses. This isn't the crowds. This isn't the Pharisees, the Sadducees. This is the eleven disciples. Some of them fell and worshipped. Some doubted. Think about what these 11 men had seen. They had been called individually by name by Jesus himself a few years earlier. They had walked with Jesus. 
They had seen Jesus cast demons out of people, and the demons went into pigs, and the pigs took off the cliff. They had seen Jesus heal a young boy that had seizures and kept throwing himself into the fire. They had seen Jesus calm the storm. They had seen Jesus walk on water. They had seen Jesus calmly respond to the soldiers when they came to arrest him in the garden that night. They had seen Jesus love his enemy when he picked up the ear that Peter cut off of the soldier and he put it back on. They saw Jesus peacefully go into the court system and submit himself to the courts of the day. They saw Jesus' body beaten and bruised. They saw his bones. That's how bad he was tortured. They saw him die. They saw him die. And now, here he is, and he's alive. And he's walking to them. And not only is he alive and is he walking to them, but did you catch that? That he went to the place where they had told him. So Jesus, after he had died, is still keeping his word to his disciples. Do you get that? Like, I couldn't imagine the conversation these men had where they were going to the place where Jesus told them to go. Because you're probably like, I don't know why we're doing this. This is so stupid. We saw him die. He's dead. We were there. Why are we doing this? What if they see us? It wasn't popular to be one of these 11 men. But Jesus kept his word to him and he met him there. And when they saw him, they ran to him and they worshiped. But some doubted. You see, this all as sad as this is, this also brings us great comfort. Because it tells us that our work in God's name, the as we walk in the good works that God prepared for us before the foundations of the earth, as it tells us in Philippians, as we walk in that, there are going to be people who doubt. But that shouldn't cause us to doubt our work. You see, we're not working for them. We're working for Jesus. We're not the king. We don't need them to worship us. We don't need people to come to Jesus through our preaching so that we can go around and tell people that we've led 10,000 people to the Lord. Like, that's not what it's about. All of that has been removed. Some will doubt. You see, some will fail to see what you see in Jesus. Some will want Jesus to be something different. Some people will simply resist to see what you see in Jesus. And they will doubt. You may fall and worship, and they will doubt. That word doubt there in the original text, it it gives this idea or it paints this picture of they're uncertain of which way to take. This following Jesus, believing Jesus seems good, but what about, what if this is true instead? Or what about this over here? Like, I just don't know what to, I just don't know. As we reach out, as we serve, there will be people who doubt. Listen. Should we expect anything less? Because let's be honest with one another, there's times where we doubt. There's times where the most mature of us doubt. But thankfully, Jesus never doubted. He fully believed on our behalf. And at the cross, he credited that belief to us. Our, here's something that I've seen in my own life. I've seen it in in my own missional community. 
I've seen it in every phase of our own missional community over the years as ours has morphed. Um, I've seen it through all the missional communities. I've seen it through us on Sundays. I've seen it through all of us, and that's this, that our faithfulness to act in love for our city is often dependent on how our city responds to us. Does that make sense? Uh, We're encouraged when people are coming, right? And we're hyped up. But when people don't come, we begin to doubt. And we begin to wonder. And we begin to think, you know what? I'm just going to quit. This is stupid. Maybe they were right. This won't work in Bakersfield. Maybe we just need to give in and buy a smoke machine. And what this reveals is that our love shrinks when we don't see the results or feel like we're a success. Our love for God shrinks. Our love for our city shrinks when we don't see the fruit we expect to see or when we don't feel like we are a success. And what that tells us is is that we're not placing our love and affection where it belongs. We're not following King Jesus at that point. You guys realize that, right? If our love for God and our love for our neighbor is affected by the way our neighbors respond to us, then we're loving our neighbor more than we're loving God. Or really what we're doing is we're loving ourselves more than we're loving either one of them, right? We've elevated ourselves above God and our neighbor. And the life of a Christian should be marked by love for God followed by love for neighbor. Jesus says those are the two greatest commandments. Um, I can't remember which, a couple of you guys, I think in your messages the last few weeks shared that. The third thing that we need to remember is that making disciples is a command. It's not an option. It's not a good program. It's not a cool thing to do. It's a command from Jesus Christ himself. Verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It is a command. Go therefore and make disciples. Our cry is the gospel of Jesus, right? That's our, that's our, we have one message, Christ and him crucified. That's it. We're a one-trick pony. But if we believe that, then we'll also believe it when he tells us to go and make disciples, teaching people that Jesus and him crucified is the only way to salvation. See, an interesting point in this text here is when it says um, in verse 17, and they worshiped him when they saw him. In their worshiping him, they were acknowledging him as not only king, but as God. These were good Jews. They knew that having more than one God, they knew the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? So either they're bad Jews and they're defuncting from Judaism because now they're worshiping more than one God, which we know is not the case. The only other option is that they realized that Jesus was God and they fell in the presence of God and they worshiped him. Our sole cry is the gospel. Our sole objective is to make disciples. Loving Jesus, making disciples. Right there. First commandment, second commandment. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Love Jesus, make disciples. How do we do this? We do this by teaching them about Jesus. He says, teach them. Teach them all that I have taught you. Teach them what is sinful. Teach them what is right. Teach them what a heart and a life looks like that has been saved. Do you know how sad? It's sad. You guys probably do know this, but 
I, there are a lot of people that we would look at and say that they're not Christians because of the way that, they, they, um, the way that their belief works out. And I would, I, would, I would love to know, in reality, only God knows this, how many of that isn't just the fact that their affections aren't for Jesus, it's just because they've never been taught to, cheat, to follow the, the ways of Jesus. They sincerely don't know. And of course, that's just a black eye on Christianity in America right now. We have presidential candidates who claim to be Christians and evangelicals are flocking to him. Politics aside, I'm not talking his politics, I'm just talking the fact that there's, no, that there's nothing about them, that, that most of them, that look like Jesus. We teach them not to neglect him or his bloody death. And in our teaching, we can't neglect Jesus and his bloody death. You realize that? We can't ever fall for the lie that says, you know what, you've got to make it a little easier to stomach. And people will believe. Because then you're calling them to believe something that isn't true. And we also can't believe the lie that says we are being unloving. By calling sin a sin, that is, we cannot believe the lie and allow society and culture to dictate what love is. We know what love is. It is Christ and Christ crucified for the sins of the world. The last thing that we have to remember is that our identity is the key to being obedient. Verse 19, he goes on and he says... um, uh, go therefore to and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see, this is what get. This is where we get into the. This is who we are because of what God has done, because of who He is. You see, our 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 making disciples isn't just about doing, but it's about living out a life that is accurate to who we now are once we believed in Jesus. Once we have fallen down at the feet of Jesus and we believe, the Bible is clear, we're a new, we're new. We're being given a new identity. We're no longer associated by the things that we used to be associated with. But it is being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It isn't what gives us the new identity. The new birth gives us the new identity. God, our triune God, gives us the new identity. But when we baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, like this, it's like an immersion into their new identity. You see, because God is Father, we're to love Him as the Father. And that means that we love one another as brothers and sisters. If we are pursuing our city, we have to... We have to believe this about ourselves, that we're family. And we have to remind one another that we are family. You see, this means that we are unwavering in our commitment to love and to disciple. And now listen to me. Even if we have to address sticky issues like finances, marriages, and parenting, it is unloving of us to sit and to watch these issues, all issues, but these tend to be the hot-button issues Right? Like, you could talk to me about how I drive. Just don't talk to me about how I treat my kids or don't talk to me about where I spend my... Right? Those are the three hot-button hot, hot issues. It is sinfully unloving if we are not teaching, people, teaching one another Jesus' ways when it comes to marriage, parenting, and finances. Because... The Holy Spirit is a sending spirit. And, and Jesus says uh, to his disciples, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. 
And the Bible tells us that the Spirit is what gives us the boldness to proclaim and the words to say as we're proclaiming that we're missionaries. We love God the Holy Spirit and we encourage and equip one another to go and make disciples. This means that we pursue and we push through difficult circumstances and find ways to love, serve, sacrifice, and care for those people regardless of the obstacles. We don't sit back, wipe our hands, and say, well, we tried. Good job, team. We continue to find ways to innovate and find strategies and come up. And if that one doesn't work, then we find another one. And if that, it is an unwavering commitment to pursue the lost through difficult circumstances. Serving isn't going to be easy. If serving is easy, then it's not sacrifice. But because God is the Holy Spirit and He empowers us and equips us, we are to pursue the lost the way that God pursues us. That was at all costs. And lastly, we are servants. We are a family of missionary servants. That is our identity. The name of the Father, the name of the the Holy Spirit, and the name of the Son. Jesus is King, so we are His servants. And we love God the Son, and we serve God the Son by serving others. This means that we see others differently. We don't gossip. We don't have conversations behind one another's backs. We see others differently. We don't see the potential good in them. We see the the ultimate good that God has that is in them because God the Spirit lives in them. We protect one another. That's how we serve one another. We see their desperate need. When it comes to the loss, we see their desperate need for forgiveness, peace, and hope. And we, and we, we learn how they are putting those, they're trying to fill, fulfill those needs in other things outside of God. And we're patient with them as those things fail again and again and again. We don't criticize or make fun of them, but we serve them the way that Jesus, God Almighty, served us. You see, there's a lot of talk in our churches these days about being relying on the Holy Spirit, and I'm telling you that this is how we rely on the Holy Spirit. We will not do this without the Holy Spirit's power. If you are living a life, we could talk all we want about being Spirit-filled and and living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, but if we are not living lives that are dependent on the Holy Spirit's power, then it's just lip service and we don't really want to live lives that walk in the Spirit and according to the Spirit. Believing that the Holy Spirit has made us new is relying on the Holy Spirit. Believing that even when we sin, believing that the Holy Spirit does dwell in us, is relying on the Holy Spirit. Believing that He does empower us for service and mission and proclaiming the good news to the lost. And that He is the one who sets the captives free. He is the one that gives the blind back their sight. He is the one that causes the lame to walk. Is relying on the Holy Spirit of God. So if you guys will stand with me, we'll pray. And as the band is coming up, what I'm gonna, I just want to close this series by asking you and inviting you, I guess I should say, that if you are here this morning and you're a regular attender, but you're not a member of our church or a covenant partner with our church, then I would ask you to join us on mission.
commit to Cross Point Community Church and the mission and vision that we have to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. If you're here this morning and you're not part of a missional community, then I'm inviting you, I'm imploring you to engage in the rhythm of a missional community. Missional communities are our method for discipleship here. If you want more information about that, please talk to myself, John, or, or Andrew, um, and, and we'd be happy to talk with you about that. And lastly, if you're here this morning, go ahead and hit the lights, John, please. Thank you very much. If you're here this morning and you don't believe, if you doubt, (laughs) as some do and some will, then we just ask you and encourage you to believe. Believe that Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God. That the sacrifice of Christ is the only way for your sins to be covered. Even if you don't fully know what that means, walk with us. None of us are fully aware of what that means. We're figuring it out together. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, as we move to these last two songs and then move into commissioning our missional communities, I pray, God, that you would remind us um, of how, <laughs> how great you are, that you would remind us of, of how much you keep your word that you would remind us, God, that you have supplied everything that we need and that you would remind us, God, of of how Jesus, his his last words to his disciples, that, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, and that you are with us always. I pray, God, that you would empower those this morning, give those the faith to believe that don't believe, give those the faith to believe that doubt. God, give those of us that are maybe scared, at the idea of living on mission, God, that you'd give us the courage to trust you. Amen.